or we've had thoughts that have been derogatory toward God, and it brings X's and X's and X's of guilt upon our hearts. And we need one to go to the cross and take that curse, that actual guilt upon himself. And I want you to know that on that cross, when the Father punished his Son, there was real guilt being dealt with. Not just an impression, not just a statement, but real guilt, a real transaction. My sins laid on Jesus, and God the Father punishing his Son for those very sins. And he paid the debt he poured out his blood to take away that sin. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're on the air to bring you the message of the gospel today, and I trust that there is a word for your own heart and soul as we bring the gospel message to you. And, of course, we're back with the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. And, of course, this is one of the most serious and yet one of the most common breaches of God's law. How many can go a full day without taking God's name in vain, without even thinking ungodly thoughts about God and condemning God or criticizing God are using the holy name of the Lord Jesus as a swear word. These are the things that we are addressing here today as we look at the third commandment. We also come now to our question in Romans, the series we have in the book of Romans. And the question today is, why does Paul say that God's wrath is directed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness? Is there a difference? And if so, why is ungodliness put first? These questions go to the very heart of Paul's theology of the nature of sin and the effects of the fall. Ungodliness refers to rebellion to God. Unrighteousness is the result of that rebellion. And I want you to think of ungodliness as rebellious apostasy from God. It is a turning away from God. It is a denial of God. And then think of unrighteousness as man's behavior after he has turned away from God. And it's always in that order. Uh, that is a big reason that idolatry, the departure from worshiping the true God in knowledge, always leads to immorality. Practice follows wrong practice, follows wrong thinking. And this is a big theme in Romans chapter 1. Now, I think on the Ten Commandments as the two tables of God's law. The first table is Commandments 1 to 4, and they relate to our attitude to God. The second table of the Ten Commandments, Commandments 4 to 10, they relate to man. How a man knows and worships God will determine his behavior toward his fellow man. Ignorance of God and apostasy from God will lead to loose morals and open sin. We see this played out in Romans 1 and in the history of man in the world. When a society rejects the knowledge of God, it is ready to practice the very worst of crimes 
against its fellow man. And so you've got the wrong religion, you will have the wrong practice. If you have the wrong worship of, of, of God, or maybe a different God, or a totally other God, then your behavior is going to be totally different. And perhaps we're seeing that in the world today as we have these religious wars and man's barbarity and humanity in the name of their God. And it leads to cruelty and no mercy. We can see right away that these people do not know the God of grace, the God of Calvary, the Father of our Lord Jesus. And so let this sink in today, and I trust the Lord will minister to your heart as you stay with us here. With everlasting love, led by grace that love could know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, the punishment of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And our Lord Jesus stepped in in our place, and he went to the cross to take our sin. And he took the sin of blasphemy, the sin of taking God's name in vain. And boy, am I ever glad. Is there anyone here today free from this sin? Is there anyone who could dare raise their hand and say, I have never committed the sin in the third commandment? I've never taken God's name in vain. I've never written it. I've never spoken it. I've never thought it. No, it all spells guilt because we have used God's name, either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, or we've had thoughts that have been derogatory toward God, and it brings X's and X's and X's of guilt upon our hearts. And we need one to go to the cross and take that curse, that actual guilt upon himself. And I want you to know that on that cross, when the Father punished his Son, there was real guilt being dealt with. Not just an impression, not just a statement, but real guilt, a real transaction. My sins laid on Jesus, and God the Father punishing his Son for those very sins. And he paid the debt. He poured out his blood 
to take away that sin. Now, there's another Bible verse that plays into this that we must not miss, and it's in Matthew 12 and verse 31. And this is very often a question that comes to me. Sometimes people will phone me up and they will ask me about this. The sin of blasphemy. And our Lord Jesus, in our real world, let's understand this, our Lord Jesus lived in a real world, a world of cursing. You can't live in this world until you hear the curses of men the swear words of men. And our Lord Jesus addressed this. And he says here in Matthew 12, 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Hallelujah for the gospel. What mercy, what liberty this brings. When you have taken God's name in vain, it is not doom for you. There is mercy, even for this vilest of sins, blasphemy against God and His name, even for dragging His name down into the mud and bringing shame upon the living God. However you've done it, and how often you've done it, here is the declaration of our Savior, all manner of sin and blasphemy that covers it all. Now, people ask about the second part of the text and say, well, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Now, if you read the context, you will find that these Jews were attributing Jesus' work of liberating souls to the devil. And when you make Jesus' work the devil's work, then you've committed a sin that will not be forgiven. And here is a wonderful truth for us. That even though from our own tongues we have misused, blasphemed the name of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, and even though we've used the name of the Holy Spirit wrongly, though that doesn't seem to be the prevalent thing in society, but even that can be forgiven. You can, you can blaspheme any of the three persons of the Trinity and be forgiven. But when you say that Jesus' work is the devil's work, then you're in trouble. And so there's mercy for those who have taken the Lord's name in vain. You might ask, well, do you have proof of someone who enjoyed that? Yes. The dying thief on the cross. Both of them railed against Jesus. In, in, in Matthew's account, he, he says that, that both of the thieves railed against Jesus. And what blasphemies from the very cross of Calvary they threw in the face of the Savior. And said, if thou be the Son of God. They were questioning Jesus as to his identity and his deity. And then in a flash of light, by the mercy of the Lord that shone into one of those thieves' heart, and he began to realize this is the Christ. And he cried out for mercy. And Jesus promised, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And there on the cross, the shortness of a few hours was the transaction of deliverance from dreadful hellish guilt and condemnation to the full assurance of eternal life with God. That's what you need today.
That's what you need. And if you don't have that, you're a lost, perishing, doomed soul. And you need to be brought to the cross to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus. That's the place of mercy. The ten laws can never wash away sins. They can expose your sin. They can shine light upon your sin. It's a mirror to show you how filthy you are and how much you need cleansing. But it's the blood of Jesus that washes away your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you need to get that. And you need to lay hold of that. And you need to come to the cross. And we're going to see you need to stay at the cross. Because if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all iniquity. That's the ongoing experience of the Christian. We're going to stay at the cross. We're going to rejoice in the cross and glory in it. Now, having preached that balance, our guilt and the way of salvation, I want to lay out a few pointers on steps we must take to honor God's name. Because remember these commandments, while they're always put in the negative, we're put in the negative, that they have implications for the positive. Not only just we don't do it and stay neutral, but we must honor God's name. Use God's name aright. And here's five ways, and I'm going to be quick here, five T's that we will, by which we will honor God. First of all is trust. We've got to trust in the Lord. We've got to make him our Savior. We've got to believe his word. We've got to rejoice in all that he says to us as his people. And we have confidence that the Lord is to be trusted. You don't really love someone's name until you trust them. If you say to, I don't know, you're proposing marriage, and you say to someone, uh, and ask them, are you willing to marry me? And you get the response, well, I love you, but I can't make, I can't make a commitment. And okay, there might be some extenuating circumstances the first time, but if that goes on and on and on, you realize this is not genuine. And if you have come to the point where you have, yes, you believe certain things about the Lord, and, and you, you, you don't argue about that, but you've never trusted, you've never committed your life to the Lord, then you don't honor his name. Rather, you say, I just I just want to keep my distance, and you stay away. And if you're not saved, if you've not asked the Lord to be your Savior, then you, you're really dishonoring his name. It also requires truth. And you've heard people say, well, I swear to God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Every word of a Christian should be the truth. You should not have to qualify your statements with swearing and, and, and all those kind of things. The Bible says, let your communication be yea or nay. I'll read to you James 5, 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And so to honor God's name, we don't drag his name into every little statement we make, 
but rather we ourselves seek to be a people of truth. And what a weight of responsibility comes upon us as Christians and upon the church and upon the preacher that we use that name, preaching the truth. In the book of Jeremiah, we read about the Lord saying, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. What a misuse of God's name. They come in God's name, and they tell their own little petty agenda, their own lies. That is the greatest blasphemy against God, to use the name of Jesus and preach another gospel. Oh, the wrath of God that will fall upon that kind of ministry is unspeakable. And it ought to cause me and you to tremble that we handle God's truth accurately and advisedly, and we do so with all our hearts. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. And that has to be the goal of every church and every pastor and every parent, that we may see God's people walk in truth. So, we honor God's name by keeping the truth. It also requires godly testimony. And I think of Elijah because Elijah's name means, my God is Jehovah. Could you imagine walking around with that name? My God is Jehovah. And that's like you putting on a shirt and say, my Savior is Jesus. And you're being watched. And there you go, the ways of the world, and you join the crowd in their ungodliness. Your testimony needs to match up with the name that you bear as a Christian. Paul complained about those who had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. And a testimony is your godliness. And this is a dangerous position to be in, to have a form of godliness, but denying the power. And so your testimony needs to be bright, needs to be shined up, it needs to be shaken up, and you need to walk the walk and talk the talk. You need to live in the joy and the blessedness of living in godly living. Second Peter 1.3 says, According to his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There is no excuse for a Christian who says, I'm a Christian, but I just can't live it. That's an excuse of man's lazy, carnal thinking. If we're going to honor God's name, we're going to bear the name of Christian, a Christ one, God has given us everything we need to live a bright, consistent, godly Christian life. Doesn't mean there are no battles. Doesn't mean there's no temptation. Doesn't mean that sometimes you'll feel that, well, I didn't do it so well today. But there is going to be in your life an overall sense of power. God equipping you to honor His name in the various affairs of life. The next T is telling forth. You're not allowed to use God's name in vain to ruin it, but let's advance it. Make it known to honor God's name among men 
And of course, when you speak up amongst the ungodly and say to them, uh, by the way, did you know that that, that swear word you used, that, that's actually my Jesus. That's my Savior. I've done that a time or two. The, the, the results are startling, absolutely startling. People dumbfound. Did I say that? Oh, it must be a habit. Yeah, it's a habit. And people get into the place, they use that name of the Lord lightly, vainly. They're not even aware of it. And it's our job as Christians to make God's name known, and it involves a measure of rebuking those that do not use the Word of God or the name of God aright. Now, a very strong verse in the Bible is Malachi 2.2. You might want to write this text down, even though you don't look it up right now. Malachi 2.2. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you. Now again, God is speaking to Israel, to his people. Remember, these are his covenant people. I'll be your God. You be my people, and here are my ten laws for you. And if you will not glorify my name, here's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to curse you. That ought to make us all tremble. Ought to make me tremble in this pulpit today. If I do not honor and glorify the Lord in my ministry, if I should lead others to decry, degenerate God's name, what a curse! I earn. God will not hold me guiltless. It's a fearful thing to use God's name if we don't need it right. And so we ought to be a people who bear the name of a Christian well. You might ask, well, how can I do that? What does that mean in real terms? How can I do that on Monday morning? Well, here's three steps. Bearing the name of a Christian. Tell the world you're a Christian. We're not secret disciples. There are some times when it's wise to keep your mouth shut. But generally, God wants you to tell the world that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of it. Secondly, baptism. It is a public badge of your attachment to the Christ ones, the Christians. You do so in a local church. People who are not willing to be baptized and to join the local church and be associated, identified with it, what are you doing? You are saying, I'm ashamed. I'm not going to bear the reproach that that would bring me. Now, you'll get over the water part of it. You say, well, I don't like water. I don't like going down under. You'll get over that. We'll not let you drown. You'll get over the the, the hour of, 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 you know, having to get into that tank and coming out looking all wet. And some people are a bit hesitant about all that. But the big thing is you want your name to be attached to the Lord Jesus Christ that you may honor him. You're not ashamed of him. And that's what baptism is greatly about. Not the total picture, but that's what it's about. It's a means of grace, but it's a badge of your display of the Lord. And then the third B, bearing the name, baptism, the third B is bearing reproach. Bearing reproach. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus 
shall suffer persecution. There is no greater honor that you bring to God's name than saying, I'm willing to suffer loss, that I may bring honor and glory to his name. And around the world today, there are Christians in prison, have lost their homes, their privileges of life, because they will not stop using the name Christ One, Christian. They will honor God's name and his reputation rather than surrender to their persecutors. So take the name of the Lord, use it, and use it well. We do not do what the Jews did by giving up the name and, and never using it. No, we want to use it. We want to tell the world. We want this word, this name of the, the Lord Jesus, to be heard by every soul in the world. We don't want to hide it. So take the name of Jesus with you. That's what our hymn tells us. Now, while misusing God's name horrifies God, and he always marks it, using God's name is a great delight to him. It's like a parent, you're going to school, the playground, to pick up your kids, and there they are on the playground, and you sort of stand on the edge of the, of the schoolyard fence, and you watch your little Johnny interact with the other kids. And you listen in for a bit. And what do you hear? My dad's this, my dad does that, my dad, my dad. Now, you couldn't be a father, or if that happened in the mother way, you couldn't be a parent and not be pleased to hear your own children speak about you unashamedly, yeah, bragging and boasting. That's what little kids do. I remember walking home from school with a bunch of boys, and we talked about the odometer in our car. My dad's car odometer goes up to 220. That didn't mean the speed the car went, of course. Could never reach that. But that's what the odometer said. And the other boys, they wanted to get uh, check out and see if their dad's odometer in his car was even higher. Talk about their dad, their stuff. We are Christians. God is our heavenly Father. We talk about his name. We speak of him. And thereby, we honor his name. And we, instead of falling into the guilt of misusing his name, we speak well of him, and we invite others to know him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. May we go do it. May we do it in this church in every meeting. May our homes reflect it. May our daily walk in this world let others know we've been with Jesus and we serve him. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. 
located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word. Music